Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, uh, let's just jump into the news. Let's start off first with Daredevil. I know we've been talking about this a lot lately. This show was canceled by Netflix, we're kind of trying to figure out what happened. Was it uh, Disney that canceled the show? Was it Netflix? And uh, we've learned a little bit of new info. So, Chris, tell us about it. Right. So the official story as of now is that Netflix canceled the show, but uh, a new study just came out that makes things seem very uh, strange. So according to this study, uh, Daredevil was the fourth biggest show on Netflix. Uh, you know, obviously we don't have a 100% confirmation on this because Netflix doesn't like to release their numbers. But according to this report, uh, Daredevil was huge. So uh, it seems strange that Netflix would cancel it. And sort of piggybacking off of that, uh, Stephen Weintraub, uh, the editor-in-chief of Collider, on Twitter said he's heard a rumor. He, he's only, he wasn't able to find a second source on this. So it's still set technically a rumor, but the rumor states that it wasn't Netflix who canceled daredevil. It was actually Marvel, which seems to indicate that this is all about bringing the Marvel shows over to Disney plus. But again, this is all yeah. speculation that, or just that they don't want to compete uh, when they bring Disney plus to market, they don't want to compete with, you know, those Marvel net Netflix shows, I feel like we're never going to get an answer to this. I mean, we have to eventually, right? Like, if they end up bringing these Marvel shows back on, like, Hulu or something, then I guess we'll have the, the answer then. But um, until then, I feel like none of the executives involved are going to, like, comment on this. Like, I feel like if I get Kevin Feige in a room and I ask him about this, I'm going to get some kind of, uh, you know, it's going to be the uh, deflector field uh, answer response um ben does this give you i know yesterday you wrote this or a couple days ago right you wrote this whole article kind of like theorizing you know what this could mean uh do you think this tells us any more 
I don't know. I, I wish I knew. I wish we had more of in, more insight into the goings on behind the scenes just so we could get a little bit more clarification here. But I follow a lot of uh, TV critics on Twitter. Um, Miles McNutt, who's been on the Slash Filmcast a bunch of times, is one of them. And, and he was talking about this earlier today. And he just said, uh, Netflix's shift toward owning their own content means that they want more favorable terms to keep a Disney show on their air. And Disney's shift towards its own streaming service means that they want more favorable favorable terms to keep producing for a competing service, but neither one of them budged. So that is, I mean, that's basically what we're talking about here. Um, the idea that everybody just sort of digs in uh, when they have their own streaming services and interests to protect. So I, it could just be as simple as that. I, I wish we had some sort of... Um, you know, somebody who is willing to to spill the actual details of what's going on here. But who knows? Um, yeah, there was another uh, a tweet the other day I put in our Slack channel from Matthew Ball, who used to, I believe, work. Uh, he was a former head of strategy at Amazon Studios. And he was mentioning that Marvel shows needed 60 percent more viewership than those made by Netflix or 30 percent more made by those of another producer just to break even. So, um, you know, there's that as well. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like if anybody – I'm, I'm going to put the plea out there because I know we have a lot of industry listeners out there. I, I live in L.A. and, uh, you know, I encounter a lot of people, you know, at movie theaters, you know, that are in the industry and they're like, oh, I listen to the podcast every day. If someone is in the industry and actually knows for sure an answer to what is going on here, I, I, I can keep, uh, you, you know, your name out of it completely. You know, email me at peter at slash I would love to get an answer of what actually is the story here, what actually happened. Um, let's move on to the G.I. Joe spinoff Snake Eyes, uh, might have found a director. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Paramount is looking to revamp the G.I. Joe franchise, which hasn't had a movie in over five years. I think uh, 2013's G.I. Joe Retaliation was the most recent one, and they're looking to make a Snake Eyes solo movie, and Snake Eyes is the character who uh, never speaks. He never reveals his face. He's basically a ninja. He's a really popular character in the G.I. Joe uh, mythos. But um, and also his brother is uh, Storm Shadow, who is uh, an evil ninja. And the two fight all the time. The, one of the, the best aspects, actually, of G.I. Joe Retaliation was this sort of uh, cliffside sword fighting scene between them that you, you might remember if you saw that film. Um, but Robert Schwenke is in early talks to direct a Snake Eyes solo movie. And Schwenke is the guy who directed the Red movies, if you guys recall those. That's the, the ones wait, that wait, had wait, like... Wait, uh... Which movie? I don't even remember this. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's it's Bruce Willis and uh, John Malkovich and Helen Mirren. Um, it was basically like, hey, old people are kind of spies and having fun. And I don't know. Th these movies are... Um... Yeah, uh, Schwenke also directed the insurgent and allegiant movies in the divergent series so you know he's, he's one of those filmmakers that just makes like competent movies but nothing that uh, has ever spoken to me on a deeper level uh, or or indicated to me in any other way than than just like well this guy can get it done you know he can he can get a movie across the finish line but i've never actually been excited about any of uh, Robert Schwenke's projects. Although I have to say he directed a movie last year called The Captain. That's a German drama about 
uh, war criminals. Um, and, and I haven't seen that movie, but I've heard good things about it. So maybe he, you know, outside the confines of a huge big budget thing is able to make something that that is actually um, interesting on on more than just the surface level. But again, this is a big budget, you know, major franchise property. It's also being written by Evan Spiliotopoulos. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He wrote uh, the Beauty and the Beast uh, remake and um, the Huntsman Winter's War. So again, I mean, a competent screenwriter, but uh, nothing that I'm, I'm really like jumping for joy at here, but uh, I don't know, maybe hardcore GI Joe fans are excited about the opportunity, uh, the the possibility of this character coming back and, and having a movie centered around him. But uh, I mean, Chris, this is a character that doesn't <laughs> take his mask off the whole time. Like, uh, are you even remotely interested in something like this? Absolutely not. And uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's amazing how everyone involved with this project is, are there, there are people who just fail upward continually. Like that list of films you just listed, they were almost all bombs or disappointments. And yet these people are just, they just keep getting work. It's like, here you go. But wait, were, were, were the disappointments money-wise? I'm, I'm, I think like those divergent films, they yeah. had to stop making them because they yeah, stopped yeah. making money. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, and you know R.I.P.D. or whatever that movie. But that but, movie. but but someone's dad saw Red, right? I, I yes, I don't know. It, it's just amazing that these people just keep getting these chances, and there are other filmmakers. If they make like one box office bomb, they're done forever. I I would just love to know who decides these things. Where it's like, well, you screw up all the time, but here's a franchise for you, and you you're done. I, I it's just amazing. So thanks. Thanks, Hollywood. <laughs> you know, I, I was a fan of G.I. Joe as a kid. I had like all the action figures. I, I loved watching the cartoons. Um, the the movies are kind of disappointing. I, you know, I was very excited that John Chu, uh, you know, who went on to direct Crazy Rich Asians, did that G.I. Joe sequel that you mentioned and that uh, Sneak Eyes scene that whole action sequence I think is the best part of that movie. Pro- probably actually the only best, uh, the only part of that movie worth watching, I think. Um, but you know, that had John Chu involved and I feel like that, that was, I, I almost like feel that that was the only reason he wanted to be on that project was for that scene. <laughs> like he really just wanted to do that scene. Um, I feel like without the talent of a John Chu, I'm not excited for a Snake Eyes movie. I I, I love Snake Eyes. I, I know I, I'm not going to beat this to death because I know I've said this on many times in the past on the podcast, but I feel like a character like Snake Eyes, the appeal of him is the mystique and you don't know who is below the mask. And I feel like a movie like this, you're going to have to, you know, take that mask off and go into his origins and who he is as a person. And I think that... Uh, ruined you know takes away the mystique so i i just don't understand why they're making this movie but uh prove me wrong uh yeah so yeah and also i i just looked this up i i said i think earlier that um that robert schwenke directed both red movies he actually just directed the first one and uh dean parasot directed the second one so you can save your emails people i know <laughs> okay uh i mentioned that someone's dad probably watched red um let's move on to another dad thing and that is that hulu has announced they're doing a john grisham universe chris what is going on here Yes, uh, it was only a matter of time before TV got in on this this cinematic universe thing. Um, 
obviously TV shows in the past have done crossovers. Uh, you know, just look at all of the Law and Order shows. They they've all crossed over in some or, or any of the DC Marvel TV series. Right. Yeah, the Netflix ones that are all being canceled right now. Um, so Hulu has. By, has by the way, I like to imagine that Thanos is. You know, it was because of the snap. They just like disappeared. That's why they're, that's why they're canceling the shows. Yeah. yeah, that's a good theory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so John John Grisham has teamed up with Hulu to create what, what what's being called the Grisham Universe. This is the official name of it. Uh, they're they're developing two different shows based on his books. One is the Rainmaker which was actually turned into a, a film by Francis Ford Coppola. That, that's a pretty good movie. It has uh, Matt Damon and, and Danny DeVito and a bunch of other people I forget. And there's another one called Rogue Lawyer. So these two books, um, they're both being turned into shows and they're being developed in this way so that the shows will stand alone, but they'll also cross over constantly. So they're gonna have sim- they're gonna have the same characters, they're going to have similar plot lines, similar storylines. It's actually a very ambitious idea. Like, I, I don't think, you know, like I said, obviously other shows have done crossovers, but not to this extreme length. Like, they're taking this to a next level. Um, the only thing is, it's hard to get too excited about this because uh, I don't get too excited about John Grisham stuff. This, you know, he, he tends to write really dry, really dull stories about. Uh, you know, lawyers and, you know, a, a bunch of his books have been turned into films and the films, they usually stray a lot from his text to make them more exciting and action packed, kind of like Tom Clancy in a way. So, uh, but I'm sure someone out there is excited about this. Like, like we said, dads everywhere <laughs> buy, buy these paper book back paperback books at the airport are probably going to be really, really pumped for the Grisham universe. But it's been like, 15 years since I think one of his books has been turned into a movie. And even that was uh, Christmas with the Cranks, which wasn't really. Yeah. Uh, the um, Didn't they make a TV series already of the firm five or so years ago? How, how long did that last? I think it only lasted one season and then it got canceled. It might have been two, but it, it was not on for very long. And it's weird because also right now Netflix is actually about to debut – this true crime series called The Innocent Man, which is based on the only true crime book John Grisham ever wrote. So maybe the, we're we're entering the John Grisham Renaissance, like we've had the Stephen King Renaissance for the last few years. Now we're we're headed into the the John Grisham one. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean the the idea really quickly though, uh, Peter. This this interests me because of what Chris was saying. How how hardcore they seem to be handling each individual show like the idea the thing that has always turned me off about the like the dc the dc shows on the cw for example is that, like i feel like with all those crossovers and those other characters popping into these other shows that i you know it, it's like reading a bunch of comics where those crossovers pop in and you feel obligated to understand the stories that they're coming from but the idea of putting these in individual silos and yeah those characters might come over but you don't have to watch both of them that's kind of an intriguing thing i don't really know if that's been done before see i want the extreme other side of things which we haven't gotten like even those dc things like there's you know crossover episodes but i want 
you know, I want a cinematic TV universe where like every episode is like connected and crossovered and like you kind of have to watch everything is what I want. There's too much stuff to watch already, Peter. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> this know. is great because you can you can watch it one at a time. You don't have to you're not forced <laughs> into keeping up with peak TV. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I won't be watching? That is the 2019 Academy Awards. Oh, <laughs> give me a break. You're going to watch it. Uh, yeah, maybe. I have to do it for work. But uh, they just announced that uh, Kevin Hart is going to host the show. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, this is one of those years where it's been a long time where uh, since we haven't known who the Oscars host was going to be for this long in the process. We're only a few months away at this point. It's it's going to be happening in February. And they just announced it yesterday that Kevin Hart, the actor comedian, is going to be hosting. So uh, there was a big piece in the, the Hollywood Reporter yesterday about how this is the least wanted job in Hollywood because or at least partly because the host of the Oscars this year has to serve so many different masters. It's like, it has to be somebody that ABC approves of because that's the network that's hosting it. So you can't have like Jimmy Fallon or one of those guys who is a, a the face of a competing network come in and host the show because the people at ABC wouldn't really like that. And then it has to be somebody who is uh, maybe not super political because you probably don't want to offend too many people. And it also has to be somebody who is funny, but not somebody who is going to you know tell a bunch of dirty jokes or, or fly off the rails and, and be unpredictable because that is also something that the Oscars doesn't want. Uh, but it also has to be somebody who's popular enough to potentially raise the ratings because that's one of their biggest things is like last year's Oscars were, I, I think, one of the, if not the lowest rated uh, broadcast in the show's history. And there's been all sorts of hand wringing about that. Uh, so yeah, I guess Kevin Hart sort of fit that very, very, very narrow Venn diagram. Uh, and also of course it has to be somebody who's willing to do it and interested <laughs> in doing it. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it's such a no Kevin win Hart situation. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've never liked Kevin Hart. Like I, I know I, I haven't seen that movie with him, the rock that people like, is that him, him, the rock? Am I thinking? Yeah, it's um, yeah. Central Intelligence. Yeah. I watched it on a plane and was sort of shocked with the way that uh, that everybody seemed to give that movie a pass because I thought it was pretty terrible. But you did see Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, and they were both in that. Yeah, he was fun in that, I guess. Uh, you know, he's appeared at CinemaCon, which is like this annual gathering of movie theater exhibitors. And, like, whenever he enters the stage, like, those movie theater exhibitors from around the United States, like, fill this, like, kind of arena. And, like, he is, like, the, you know, everything he says is, like, gold and funny. And I'm like, am I on an alternate universe where bad stuff is good? <laughs> um, <laughs> but so, I, I don't know. I'm just not interested at all in this. I I forget who said it on Twitter. Maybe it was Matt Ryan suggested that Deadpool should host the Oscars. Now, I'm not a big Deadpool person, but I would have watched that if, if, Ryan, if Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool hosted Oscars. Um, uh, Chris, does this get you more excited, less excited to watch the Oscars? Yeah, I'm not. You know, I don't have anything against Kevin Hart. I, I don't particularly like love his comedy, but I don't think he's terrible. But nothing about this really interests me i mean the, the oscars themselves even though i'm a huge movie fan obviously i don't really like the oscars because they've just gotten worse and worse like if i were running the oscars it would literally just be 
the awards. I hate all the bits and the shtick and the dancing. <laughs> like, I don't care. Just give me the goddamn awards. <laughs> I hate when they, they have to open with a friggin' song every time and the song is terrible. Like, just, just get to it. The show would be like an hour long if they did it my way. So what I'm saying is the Academy should hire me. But but do you, do you think mainstream America would just be interested in the awards? Don't they want I mean, like the songs and the performances and they want that opening monologue of jokes and stuff? Yeah, but if the ratings are really that bad, they're clearly not that interested in the alternative. So maybe it's time to try just something simpler, something, you know, they do that. Th- they've done it like twice in a row now where they go out to like a movie theater and they're they throw hot dogs at people or something. It's like, yeah, get out uh, of here. Like it's, you're wasting so much time. It's like a 40 minute bit. Like God almighty, just get to the, get well, to the boards. I, I think it's because there was that one year with that selfie thing. And then, uh, who was it? Ellen ordering the pizza. Yeah. And like, I feel like that was a big hit. So they're trying to it recapture was just a big social media moment. And everything after that is felt so forced where they're trying to drive and, and generate, you know, buzz and get people talking on Twitter about it. But it's like the people who are watching the Oscars are already talking about it on Twitter anyway. Um, I, I am, I actually enjoyed last year's ceremony a lot. And I, I think I'm way more tolerant of the, the song and dance and the big, um, the big productions and all of that, that aspect of it than Chris's, but I definitely agree. Those, those bits definitely, I mean, that should never happen. Like the idea of, of leaving the, uh, the Dolby theater at any point is just ludicrous or bringing people in off the street, like stop that forever. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't, Kevin Hart, I feel like by hiring Kevin Hart, they're also hiring the rock because, and you alluded to this earlier, Peter, like they, the two of them have been in a couple movies together. They have this sort of uh, frenemy thing going on on their social media accounts all the time. So you know that that's going to factor in somehow to this Oscar. So I don't know, maybe maybe it was like a two for the price of one kind of thing. Like if they hired Kevin Hart, they knew that they'd get also one of the biggest movie stars in the world to uh, to be involved in the show in some way. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just not interested, but I, I'm, I'm sure I'll watch it. So... So they won, whatever. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Disney's Cruella, who it seems has found its director. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, Craig Gillespie, who directed I, Tanya, is now directing Cruella, which is the Cruella DeVille origin story starring <laughs> Emma Stone. Uh <laughs> Uh, it's not it's not enough that disney is remaking all their animated films as live action you know quote-unquote live action remakes they're now also doing those origin stories like you know maleficent and stuff like that yeah yeah this this was originally going to be directed by uh alex timbers who co-created mozart in the jungle but he's not doing it anymore uh because there's just not the scheduling is off. Um, Alex Timbers has to has to work on Beetlejuice on Broadway and also the the Moulin Rouge musical. And Disney apparently wants to start this right away. So uh, Alex Timbers is out. Craig Gillespie is in. Um, Emma Stone is still in. Uh, the weird thing is this this new this has been known for a while that Emma Stone is playing this part. But for some reason, when this story broke, that's all anyone was talking about. Like, Emma Stone's playing Cruella, but 
this bit of the news has been in place for at least like three or four years. I guess everyone just forgot. The news is that Craig Gillespie is directing. But I remain very skeptical of this project because I don't know how you're going to make a movie about someone who wants to murder puppies <laughs> uh, turns into a coat. Uh, you know, I know with Melissa, Melissa how, how how do you make people care or empathize with that character that wants to skin right dogs? It's, it's impossible. I, you know, I know in Maleficent they changed her backstory a little bit, but Corella Deville, her whole character is literally she wants to murder dogs. That's it. There's nothing more to that character. So what <laughs> what is this movie going to be? You know, I, I I like Emma Stone. I think Emma Stone is funny and charming, but. I don't even think Emma Stone is charming enough to make a character who wants to murder dogs likable, but I guess that that's in Disney's hands. We'll see what they do. But the director of Lars and the Real Girl, uh, does that give you any more hope about this film? Not really. I mean, I thought I, Tanya was fine, but it, it wasn't exactly, you know, a showstop. You know, what made that movie good was Margot Robbie's performance. Yeah. So... Uh, but maybe in turn what will make this movie good is Emma Stone's performance. I don't know. Yeah, I love the performances in that movie uh, from Robbie and Paul Walter Hauser, and, um, but I felt like the tone of that movie was kind of all over the place. It, like He still feels like one of those like directors that came from the indie world that hasn't polished himself enough for like a big Disney movie. Ben, uh, are you excited about this at all? No, no, I'm not. I mean, I, I hate to be dismissive and I'm I'm not like, you know, at, at this point, I'm not interested, you know, like it, show me something. Give me something that that uh, give me a synopsis that that changes my perspective on it. And uh, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm open minded to the possibility of this being good. But like you guys have been saying, it's dog murder. I mean, what are you what are you going to do with that? <laughs> so until they show me that there's there's that they have like an in on on that or some sort of approach here, I'm just sort of like. Uh, more like uh, baffled at at the idea that they would even attempt something like this um, instead of like, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Like, yeah, I like Emma Stone, but uh, maybe it know. turns <laughs> out that she doesn't actually murder dogs. That like she just wants people to think that's what she's doing, and she just like creates these like you know fake fur jackets that look like dogs. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, that sounds a, horrible. Get, give me like an awful movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. That doesn't sound great. But I'm just like, I'm more curious about this, you know, because this is Disney. This is like a family friendly. This is the family friendly enterprise in all of Hollywood. And they're like, they're embracing this villainous character who uh, who is known for this horrible thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more curious than anything for this one. Uh, speaking of weird, uh, we found out yesterday that a, a between the two uh, between two ferns movie is secretly filming already. Ben, what is going on here? Yeah, um, Zach Galifianakis has this awkward web series that's been going since like the 2008 or something. You guys have probably seen an episode, at least one, uh, if you've been on the internet in the past 10 years. I'm, I'm sure. I'm you've sure come people across. like saw like the Obama episode. I feel like that right. went everywhere. 
Yeah, exactly. And he also did one with Hillary Clinton in 2016. Um, so, yeah, it's basically just Zach Galifianakis playing sort of a uh, an acerbic version of himself who insults and demeans celebrity guests in this really, really shitty looking public, public access TV studio. And that's it. That's the bit. I mean, it's it's perfect for a web show because they're, you know, it's nine minutes or something like that. And it's just watching a celebrity be sort of uh, befuddled at how Galifianakis is treating them. But uh, now a, a secret movie is already in production at Netflix. And we know that Scott Ackerman, who co-created the the web series and directed several episodes of it, is going to be on board to direct this movie. Uh, Peter Dinklage, David Letterman, Keanu Reeves, and Ed Helms and Bradley Cooper, who starred uh, in the Hangover movies with Zach Galifianakis, are slated to appear and that's all we know about this. We're not sure if this is going to be just a movie-length version of the show or if Ackerman and Galifianakis are maybe breaking the mold and doing some sort of like meta-exploration of the concept of the show in movie form. Um, it could be you know, something that, that uh, tackles the industry at large because the show is, as it currently exists in its web form, is sort of like a poking fun at the nature of celebrity interviews, you know, as they currently exist. So I, I you know, again, this is one of those things where I'm sort of like waiting on the premise to really uh, understand what the approach is here. Um, but I don't know. I, I just, I keep going back to the time when we all thought that a Facebook movie sounded really, really stupid. And then the social network <laughs> came out. So I, I don't want to like write it off entirely, but uh, you know, why not just make more episodes of the show? But I, I don't know. I'm not sure. What do you guys think about this? I wish Brad was on here because I'm sure he would have some kind of positive <laughs> spin on this, but it, I don't know. It sounds not like, I guess could this be more like a one-time TV special than a movie? I don't know. I guess so, but if it's on Netflix, then like you know, at a certain point, is there even a real distinction between the web show and like a, a quote-unquote Netflix movie? Like if it's just adapting that format into a two-hour version of it, I, I don't know, Chris. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, like you said, I don't want to be too dismissive of it, but I thought what, you know, what made Between Two Ferns funny was how short it was. It was, you know, this quick little thing you could watch online and be done with it. I don't know how you, you stretch that into a feature, yeah. but I'm sure they have more. It can't just be the same thing as the show where he's just sitting there talking. Like the, You can't make that a movie. So I'm sure they have some sort of idea. I just don't know what it is. I, you know, I am the comedy curmudgeon of this group, and I, I almost feel like Zach's character on that show is almost grating when you get to, you know, more than like a 20 minute length. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is just not going to be for me. Maybe. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping you're right, Ben. I, I'm hoping there is some kind of unique spin on this that we just are not seeing. There's some kind of like exciting meta narrative to this. But I'm assuming it's probably what it seems like it's going to be. But, um, okay, let's move on to our final story. And this is one that, like, uh, Chris wrote about last week, but I've been holding when we had uh, some room to talk about it. And that is that James Cameron and Tom Cruise were one time in talks to film a movie 
in outer space. I don't believe I just said that. Chris, what is the story here? Yes. Yeah, so uh, James Cameron revealed that about 15 years ago, he had a contract with the Russians to go to the International Space Station to shoot a 3D documentary on the International Space Station. And he had this idea. He said, you know, if I'm going into space, why don't I actually just make an actual you know, narrative film in space, not just a documentary? And of course, he turned to Tom Cruise for this because we all know Tom Cruise will do anything for movies, and that includes going to space. And sure enough, Tom Cruise said, yes, I will absolutely do this. And James Cameron said, you know, to make this work, you're going to have to actually train to become an engineer. You're really going to have to become a rocket scientist, basically. <laughs> and Tom Cruise said, yes, I will absolutely do that. I will train <laughs> to be an engineer. And uh, just unfortunately, it never happened. Um uh, maybe someday James Cameron will take Tom Cruise to space and bring us along with him. But for now, it's it's just a, a beautiful dream. Okay, l- let me propose something to you guys. What if we existed in an alternate timeline where instead of the Avatar movie and sequels, we got this Tom Cruise in space movie, but that also means that we didn't get the Mission Impossible sequels? Like, what would you choose? Uh, is Trump president in this alternate universe? <laughs> Unclear. Uh, well, then I can't. Decide. I'm going to stick with this one just because I love Mission Impossible. Yeah, I think Fallout is worth it. But um, man, this is really intriguing. Uh, Chris, is there any reason why it fell apart? Does he say it? Was it just like the contract with the Russians ran out or something? No, he just he never actually clarifies. He just says we had some ideas for a story, but it was still conceptual. And that's really where he trails off, which is amazing to me because if I was talking to James Cramer and this is all I would want to talk about. I guess, I guess the interviewer did not follow up on that part. He just let it go. Like, all right, moving on. I would have just wow. been like, let's talk about this space movie for the next hour. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's re- we don't really know what happened to it. I, I th- I'm guessing it was just not practical because I don't know how you get, you know, a documentary is one thing. I don't know how you get a whole film crew up into space. That seems like a lot of work and, my guess is it didn't happen just because it would have been impossible to pull off, but who knows? I don't know if anybody could have pulled it off. It's James Cameron. I would have, I'm such a space nerd. This would have been so fantastic. I know aside from like those IMAX documentaries in space, I think the closest we've gotten to a movie being filmed in space is kind of like, you know, people going on the vomit comet to, you know, that uh, aircraft that goes at high altitudes and takes a dive and basically uh, presents people in uh, zero-G. It looks like they're in zero-G. They used it in uh, Apollo 13. They used it in uh, Chris's favorite uh, movie, The Mummy, with Tom Cruise. Um, I don't know. This this would have been cool, but I, I do see how impractical, impractical this would have been. But uh, I'm hoping someday someone makes a movie in space, and I'm hoping someday that person is James Cameron. Maybe one of the Avatar sequels can have a, a scene set in yeah, space. Yeah, it could be in space. I mean, technically they are set in space, so why doesn't he just do that? Yeah. Get off your ass, Cameron, you lazy bum. <laughs> that brings us to the end of today's hey, hey, slide. Hey, 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 Peter. Hey, Peter. Do, do, do you know what time it is? <laughs> I, I'm confused. Uh, this isn't the water cooler. Jacob, you're not supposed to be on this episode. Please do not open the book. <laughs> oh, no. This is indeed the managing editor of, of SlashFilm.com, Jacob Hall. But uh, I'm here for a non-water cooler-related reason, and I brought weekend editor Brad Oman with me. 
Hey, that's Brad. me. Brad is here too. What is going on? <laughs> so, so someone wrote us a letter. Jacob, what do we know? Well, what we know is a fan named Ashley sent us a lovely letter, uh, maybe one of the best pieces of fan mail we've ever received. And she had one request, and we're going to grant that. And that is, we want to wish a lovely, wonderful, perfect, happy birthday to Tim Fromm. Yay, happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Tim. Happy birthday, Tim. Happy birthday, Tim, wherever you are. We hope all is well and you're having a great day. Okay, that brings us to the end of Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all the stories we've mentioned on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at SlashFilm.com. And, or if you want your life advice from Chris Evangelista, send it there as well. However, if you want us to wish you happy birthday, please don't ask. This was a very... <laughs> limited one-time thing because this, we were sent such a moving wonderful message from, from ashley that we're not going to become Chuck E. cheese and like sing and like bring out cupcakes and all this all this stuff so please please don't ask us to do this ever again happy birthday to all of you for the rest of time yes yes i think that's the best uh you could possibly say that okay please go to itunes rate review this podcast tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow